Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa man wala. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla. Wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala zikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik. Ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So uh, this is a class where you hardly get to see me at all because of the darkness. But I'm pretty sure that you're happy with the compensation, which is this incredible view right here alhamdulillah someone's been very very generous and we are using their great um, uh, access to a haram view and uh, we thought that um, you know maybe make this uh, lesson a little bit special from the blessed city of Makkatul Mukarrama um, during this uh, Umrah um, and I wanted to thank all the brothers from Al Maghrib and Darus Salaam and those folks who are involved in this uh, particular plan and then um, the rest of the guys that are arranging the April Umrah as well, which I can exclusively uh, 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 release the news of April the 6th, by the way, to the 16th. Now, if you're a pack like I am, then you'll know that when you plan holidays, you plan it around how to maximize holidays based upon the amount of days that you can get already from them, minimizing the amount of paid leave that you take. So I did a calculation, April 6th to 16th, should get you something in the region of uh, like seven days taken out and or six days of holiday taken and you're getting like i don't know 12 days off or something like that and so we decided to so you're doubling up at least anyway put it that way over the easter holiday so that's a good time for you to go inshallah from manchester and england and you can see that and the hajj is also released uh, today as well by the way, we had to pre-record this, okay? But don't think that I recorded this on Sunday or Monday, okay? I'll prove it, right? Normally what I'll do is I'll do a back to the future kind of thing where I'd stick a newspaper up with a date today, but I don't need to do that. I can tell you that that Bob Bradley Miskin got sacked, yani, okay? From a Swansea coach, okay? And Miskina, yani, Princess Leia, she passed away. Miskina, the force obviously wasn't with her enough. Sad news, to be honest. And uh, what else we need to prove that today's Wednesday and it's afternoon. So we're only a couple of hours yani, in front of you. Okay. But I had to record it because the, uh, the the transmission stream is not strong enough. And also later I need to go make the laugh around that time as well. So um, I think that uh, it's a small price to pay, inshallah, not being live live. But I will be live on the portal. So don't hate. I will be live on the portal, inshallah, answering some of the questions. So what we're doing today, we are doing... Um, uh, Aura, right? We started it uh, briefly last week, and the Mu'allif alayhi rahmatullah, he says, وَمِنْهَا سَتْرُ الْعَوْرَةِ Okay? Uh, فَيَجِبُ بِمَا لَا يَصِفُ الْبَشَرَةِ وَعَوْرَةُ الرَّجُلُ وَأَمَا وَأُمِّ وَلَدُ وَمُعْتَقٍ بَعْضُهَا مِنَ السُرَّةِ إِلَى الرُّكْبَةِ وَكُلُّ الْحُرَّةِ عَوْرَةٌ I don't think that we're going to get any more past than that. So I don't actually have the English text with me because you can see I'm amazingly organized. But um, basically the uh, translation should be um, and from the conditions of the prayer and in addition to the extra conditions of the prayer is to cover the aura. And as I said last time, you know, I'm not going to translate that word aura. We'll talk about that in a second. And it is obligatory to do that with something which does not describe the skin or yani, express the skin color, yani, show the nature of the skin. 
All right, that's the literal translation. I can't remember what I translated it properly as. And the aura of a man and a slave and the umwalad, okay, who I explained last time, and and the partly owned slave, is from the navel, is from the navel, is from the navel until the knee, from the navel until the knee. And as for the free woman, meaning a normal woman, then her aura is. Uh, everything, every single part of her body except her face. That's it. Okay, that's it. So, you remember that last week I gave a brief kind of commentary to what this meant, the entire the entire uh, part, and um, I also explained that the word aura is understood by some folks to mean nakedness. Okay, um, but we're not going to translate it. Aura is though are those areas of the body that need to be covered, that need to be uh, uh, yeah covered uh, effectively. And the word aura comes from that which you don't want other people to see, that you're embarrassed about, that is shameful, that is even some way deficient in something in some kind of manner. Um, and that's you know I spoke about about my own opinion about what I think about how some of the packs really refer to their women as aura and you know. Anyway, so I want to just now move on to page 149 of what Sheikh Uthameen then explains in this chapter about this. He says, um, so let's now discuss the issue of satr al-awra, okay, to cover the awra, this phrase, satr yeah, al-awra, covering the awra. Is this yani, is taken from the, 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 the Quran or the Sunnah? Yani, uh, is, it, is, is, it, is this kind of mentioned outright directly when it comes to the salah? Because we are talking about salah, we are not talking about normative uh, uh, covering. We are talking about salah, okay? Um, so, uh, uh, meaning that we will differentiate at one time which aura is part of a normal person, normal uh, uh, reality, and what is the only part of prayer. But here now, we are talking from the conditions of the prayer that we must yani, cover the aura. So, does is there anything in the Quran or Sunnah that mentions the covering of the aura with respect to the prayer? Um, yani in this phrase. And Shaykh Uthameen says, no, this phraseology of satra aura, it does not appear in the Kitab or the Sunnah. And therefore, we have to be very, very careful about what we say because it's not even actually something which is, um, uh, you know, has been outlined by, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with respect to the prayer. There are indications to it. And that's why when some of the scholars, they said satr al-awra, many people, they mixed up between the awra that is required to cover the body during the prayer and what needs to be covered when you're walking outside with foreigners. Yani foreigners ajanib, okay, ajnabi means, uh, uh, even though technically means a foreigner, it means non-family, non-mahram, okay? So uh, uh, your brother-in-law is a foreigner, okay? And a stranger on the street is a foreigner. They're the same, even though one's very, very close, right? Your cousin is a foreigner, even though, of course, they're family. Foreigner here means someone that yani, you cannot, you have to cover in front of because they are like any other person. So this is what we call the aura of the nadar and the aura of the salah. So there's two different things. So a person, for example, in prayer covers in a certain way and a person outside of the prayer in a personal capacity covers in a different way. And people often mix these two up, mix up these two and they give yani, maybe, for example, the aura of the nadar, what needs to be covered from foreign people, and they apply it to the prayer. And that's what we need to be uh, careful. And that's why the shaykh says, عَلَيْهِمْ That this yani, became yani, confusing for them and they started to mix them up. And then uh, some of them said, هَذِهِ وَهَذِهِ سَوَاء They said that they're the same. And Shaykh Uthameen says they're not the same. Okay, There's a difference between the aura of salah and the aura of nadar. And 
uh, and that's what we're going to clarify. Idhan, he says, فَلَوْ عَبَّرَ بِمَا جَاءَ فِي الْقُرْآنَ وَالسُنَّةِ لَكَانَ أَسْلَمْ He goes, what's actually better is, I forget this word, سَتْرَ الْعَوْرَ because it's not mentioned in the, in the Qur'an, this word, سَتْرَ الْعَوْرَ Why don't we use the words which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا بَنِي آدَمْ خُذُوا زِينَتَكُمْ عِنْدَ كُلِّ مَسْجِدٍ uh, In Surah Al-A'raf verse 31, Allah says, O oh, children of Adam, dress well whenever you are at worship. Okay, I agree with that because you know, the literal translation of this is, Oh, son of Adam, uh, you know, be uh, in your best dress in every mosque. Okay, that's the literal translation, right? But in actual fact, it does not mean mosque. It means every time that you pray, every time that you make sajda. It's referring to the general. That's the position of the majority of the mufassirin, the people of tafsir. Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Shaykh Uthameen says, has commanded that for every prayer we take the full beauty. And... Um, and the full beauty zina, okay, this is an important part to discuss, all right? Um, clothes are beautiful. And that's something which is important to, to start to say from the beginning. Because there are many cultures, you know, in fact, our culture, the Western culture, which even though it goes on about, you know, clothes and models and horticulture and all this kind of nonsense, right? And catwalks and uh, shows and stuff, they actually try their very best, many of them, to expose as much skin as possible, right? which would go against the concept that the idea that the clothes are there to create beauty, they consider that less clothes creates more beauty because they focus more on sexual desire as opposed to something which, which is uh, noble and beautiful, beautiful in the noble sense. Now, if you were to go back and look at time, uh, early times when values were far stronger, and of course, this still does exist, this concept, the idea of beauty is in more elaborate clothing and like, you know, uh, there's a big difference between the beauty that's connected to, connected to sexuality and beauty which is connected to honor and respect. So a bikini, for example, on a woman that people would consider beautiful is not what is beautiful clothing. Whereas a dress which is complete in its absolute sense, it has been like a wedding dress, for example, which has had a huge amount of work done on it, all the amount of stitching and the layers and the X and the Y, whatever, there's no comparison in the amount of effort and there's no comparison also in the respect when it's presented when a person presents in a wedding dress with everything people know and recognize this is really something special likewise the king a king when you see how he dresses then you will recognize that he puts on certain yani, layers of clothes and then further layers and further layers because clothes indicate wealth wealth yani, is indicated by this fact that I can wear more than just uh, the single basic thing I can replace it if it gets dirty I can wash it so you'll see that robes and further on overcoats and that classic kind of style that existed then and of course even now as well you'll see that that is the noble kind of way even at the uh, in, a, in a society and culture which is so far gone at the moment you can recognize that at the at the basic minimum there are people out there that recognize that the formal fully dressed is an important thing and obviously uh, as Sheikh Uthameen says that if you're going to talk about beautification then the minimum of that beautification will be to wear minimal clothing right it's not referring to a physical beautification the first thing that you do on a naked body before you start putting makeup or combing your hair is to cover the body and what part of the body would you cover you would cover the parts that you are most ashamed and embarrassed of which are the private parts now if we were just to pause there for a second and think about human nature we all know that if we were going to meet someone like our father or like our someone who's elder or even meet anyone actually 
or we were to go and meet you know a leader or a ruler or the prime minister or the king you would not go with nakedness you would always try to cover as much as possible of your body and that means going that further that little bit extra and that would mean yani, adding you know decorative pieces on top you would be adding clothes which are not fundamental for warmth and for basic coverage you would add extra so for example when a person puts on a shirt a shirt does the job perfectly it's thick enough to cover the skin you don't have to add a tie but people add a tie to Mulukusamata why do they then put on a jacket a jacket is actually just emphasizing what's already been covered underneath but adding that extra layer of clothes shows that extra amount of effort and that is something very important to recognize and I teach this in Fiqh Salah as well that one of the things that uh, we all need to recognize, brothers and sisters, that um, people uh, psychologically react to good uh, clothing. I mean, the, the clothing that they wear. Everyone likes to wear good clothing. Yes, the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah is Jamil Yuhibbul Jamal. Allah is beautiful and He loves beauty. But also people love beauty as well. Okay, this hadith is only talking about it from uh, an effort that we should make. But people like to look beautiful and they feel better. And I remember this happening, you know, once when I was at a, uh, uh, a dinner and one of my elder uh, staff members, uh, she came and, and I said to her, she's like 70 or 80 years old. And I was saying to her that I want you to come and to this dinner I'm inviting everyone to. Uh, it's like an Eid kind of dinner. And I said to her, listen, I don't want any no silly behavior. I told all of the, the uh, it was mostly women. Um, and I said to them, don't be doing no silly kind of thing like your normal knees up on a Friday or a Saturday. I want you to be dressed yani, properly and respectfully because I don't like all that silly behavior. You know that. I was very straightforward with these kind of folks. And um, uh, uh, Pat, her name was her, the, el the eldest one. She comes and she she has wearing a full dress, lots of effort. She didn't come in a kind of, you know, fahish way. She came in a respectful way. But you could see that she had done her hair and she had put on makeup and whatever and whatnot. And I said to her, you silly monkey, what are you doing, man? I said to her, what's going on? We went to all this effort. Look at us. We come in our tracksuit bottoms and our thingies. And, you know, we, we kind of have a good munch. And you're going to stink a curry afterwards. And, you know, why do you go to all that hassle for? And she said something to me then, which I have never, ever forgotten. It's now like nearly 10 years ago or maybe even 15 years ago even. She said, she said that it's not, it wasn't for you or for the occasion. It was for myself that I dressed up. It made me feel special. It made me feel better. And at that time, obviously, you know, you're not really thinking about these kind of more worldly anthropological kind of observations. But what she taught me a lesson at that time is that clothing is far just much more than just a bare minimum presentation. It has a, an impact upon other people and it has an impact upon the self. There's, an, there's, a, there's a level of self-respect. She was basically trying to say that I want to treat this little munch that you are considering yeah, and it's something minor. I want to I, I want to value it. And my expressing and my showing of my value of this is my putting the effort in to beautify myself and i thought about that and i said that i said to myself that's exactly what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to do when he says to us ya bani adam that you likewise produce in yourself that psychological boost when you are about to pray at every single moment that you're about to pray not only are you standing in front of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the king of all kings if you will be ashamed if you would be ashamed to stand in front of your boss or your king in t-shirts and a short, you would be because you'd be embarrassed. Then what about the king of all kings? Just to use a human example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves to be, to be presented to and spoken to in the very best of manners. That's why it's always been a sunnah of our Prophet sallallahu to, to maximize the possibility of 
that, that to maximize everything in expression when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why our scholars have always said that you not only do, you, even though it might be allowed to wear short sleeve, for example, but it's better to wear full sleeve. And even though it's permissible to uncover your head, especially in cultures where uncovering the head is a sign of disrespect, where it is in many cultures, and covering the head is a sign of respect in many cultures. And even in the Western culture, it used to be the case as well. You'll often see, you know, a doff of the cap, a doff of the hat. You know, this is part of our culture, right? Uh, across the world. It's only in recent times that people have started to not wear hats. Um, uh, 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 and yeah, from the West to the East, all right? Um, the idea, all of this is from a sunnah, the turban likewise, even though there is no religious significance at all, not a single hadith that would establish the religious significance of the turban. And as we know that the Prophet ﷺ only wore it as following his people, there are some cultures that respect the look of it and like it. And if they see that a person who makes the effort for salah is making an extra special yani, sacrifice and showing that effort, as I said. Likewise, perfuming. Now, putting on perfume before the prayer also creates an environment with you mostly. With you mostly. And if others smell it, then they say, yeah, this person's taking it seriously. Because normally you would apply perfume when you're going out somewhere special. Because you kind of think to yourself, well, I'm going somewhere special. I don't want to waste it, right? So you use it for special occasions. Well, a person who uses perfume and good quality perfume for salah is proving that they see that salah as a special occasion. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. That, you know what? Prepare yourself psychologically and physically. This, this, this yani concept of khudu zinatakum, okay, could be translated like I'm saying, is prepare yourself physically, materially, and psychologically, mentally, get yourself into the mood for really what is a very special uh, occasion, a very special moment, and that is, of course, the prayer. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. And Sheikh Uthameen, he says that, and we have even some athar that would suggest this. He says that Abdullah ibn Umar has been reported to have said to his freed slave, Nafi', okay, uh, that he saw him praying without his head, with his head uncovered. And he said to him, غطي رأسك يعني go, uh, uh, cover your head. Would you go out to the people? وأنت حاسر الرأس يعني would you ever go out in front of the people without wearing a hat? Okay. And he said, no. Then he said, فالله أحق أن تتجمل له. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more deserving that you beautify yourself for. It's a simple thingy. Would you go outside without a hat? If you're feeling ashamed of the people and you cover your head, why would you not then cover your head in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And I think this is a point because no one is going to say it's obligatory, but it's a point of adab. Yeah, and you show respect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Now this narration, um, just to read from at the bottom of page 150, um, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, what's it called? It's a footnote. Ibn Taymiyyah says about uh, this, he's the one who narrates this in Majmu' al-Fatawa in volume 22, 117, page 117. But he didn't mention the source of this, okay? And so this exact story, we can't actually find where it is. But there is a similar kind of narration, which is narrated by Abdul Razak in his Musannaf and Imam Ahmed as well, and Imam Al-Tahawi in Sharh Ma'ani Al-Athar, um, that on the authority of Nafi' that Abdullah ibn Umar, he gave him two uh, thobes while he was still a young boy. And then one day Ibn Umar, he went into the masjid and he saw Nafi' praying in just one uh, garment. And he said to him, uh, do you not have two thobes that I gave you? So he goes, no, no, yeah, I do. He goes, so if I would, do you not, don't you realize that if I was to say to you to go out there, to, you know, go, go outside, go shopping, go and get me something, go behind here, that you would then wear them both? He said, uh, he said Nafi' said, yes, I would. So then he said, فَاللَّهُ أَحَقُّ أَن تُزَيَّنَ لَهُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more deserving that you take your zina for him. Okay, so an important principle, yani, that we should always, 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 always 
bring a point of respect to the prayer. Now that's easier when you are going to a masjid because you're going out. And so you kind of like, you know, you, you're kind of using the shame of going outside and being seen in a strange way. And then the salah gets the side effect kind of benefit, right? I want to say to you that, you know, number one, those people who go outside to the masjid need to change their intention and say that I'm now dressing up for the salah and not for the people who will see me. That's a secondary thought, okay? I wouldn't want my primary intention to be colored by that second one. Because at the moment, I can tell you that the majority of people who dress up nice when they go to the masjid, it is they're dominated by what the people will think. People who see them in the street, people who see them at the masjid. Uh, you know, I, I, I know definitely from my own kids, when we go, we're going to the shopping afterwards, they change their clothes differently. Okay, this is the and it always was the case. All right, and if you say to them, No, we're only going to the masjid, then it's a different kind of approach. And that's not just my own kids, that's myself, that's everyone has that. When you believe you're going to exp- you be somewhere else after salah or before salah, your, your intention is different. So I'm saying, Okay, you know what's done is done. Now, though, focus and say the real special moment is not me going in front of some, some till operator or some skin in the shop or whoever, whatnot. We give the monkeys about them. Let's yani, make ourselves yani, beautiful for Allah's sake. But the real focus that I want to give to our people who are at home, especially those who pray Fajr at home, which is not a great habit. People should go to the masjid for their prayers, all of them as much as possible. And the men especially for Fajr and then the women as well if it's possible. But if they are praying at home, then one of the biggest mistakes, of course, that people make, especially those who are praying Fajr, is that they don't bother getting changed out of their pajamas. Okay, They literally jump out of bed. And they assume that they're still pure and clean. They go make their wudu and they come back. And it's all a case, you know, it's all, it's a, the prayer is horrible. Because the, the prayer is reduced, the prayer is then done next to the bed. Because the intention is all, let me just quickly jump back in again. Let me not get too cold, let me just jump straight back in again. So everything that will allow me to do that, then I'm going to go and do that. So people don't get changed. That's, that's disrespect to the prayer, disrespect to you. It's not honoring Allah, it's not honoring the prayer, it's not honoring you. So I want you to remember that. It's very important that, yani, just... This is not just a legal aspect. There, there is a psychological thing going on here as well. Satr al-Awra is a, something which is very much linked to the, the honor and the nobility of a person. And that's why they used to say that when a person is fully dressed, that's a nobleman, okay? A noble person or a noble woman by the manner of the dress. And in the days of slavery, and as you're going to see here very clearly, slaves are dressed down completely, not just in rags, but much less of the body covered. And that is the difference between the freed people and the not free people, the slaves, the enslaved people, or those that have got lots of money and those who don't have lots of money. So if you do have that ability, you do have the wealth and you do have the freedom and you do have the opportunity, then it's really wrong for you to not be dressing to your best capacity. And when I say best, that doesn't mean your absolute best because there has to be a little difference between your normal prayers and the Jum'ah prayer and the Eid prayer, which has an extra level of concern. So we should take this yani, uh, seriously. Okay? إِذَنْ فَاتِّخَاذُ الزِّينَ غَيْرَ سِتْرَ عَوْرَةً So uh, uh, the Sheikh says that, that we can say that to beautify yourself is something which is separate from covering the awra. Because what I've just been speaking about is covering everything. But we know that the awra is just covering the nakedness. And... And what we, what we should say, Shaykh Thameen says, is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what did he say? He said something a bit different. He said, لا أحدكم في الثوب الواحد ليس على عاتقه منه شيء. This hadith narrated by Bukhari. And um, uh, uh, the wording of Bukhari is a little bit different. He says, لا يصلي أحدكم في الثوب الواحد ليس على عاتقه منه شيء. Yani on, and none of you should uh, uh, pray in a single garment where he doesn't have, on what, in one narration, on his shoulder something 
or on his two shoulders something okay and we'll talk about this uh, later in in detail okay so يعني, uh, you can see that it is very you can see that Sheikh um, Uthameen uh, says that the shoulder of a man is not awra by consensus of the scholars. Yep. So the Prophet said, not one of you pray except that he covers his shoulder. And we know by consensus that the shoulder is not from the awra. Agreed? So if the Prophet is saying you must at least have something on your shoulder, then clearly this issue of prayer dressing for the prayer is not about covering the aura because that's not aura do you understand so um, so therefore we know that the issue of prayer is not just about covering the aura covering the aura is a minimum in the issue of that and he also sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to jabir ibn abdullah in kana dayyikan fatazir bihi wa in kana wasi'an faltahif bihi this hadith is narrated by bukhari he said, uh, uh, Jabir ibn Abdullah came and he showed a, uh, a, 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 a garment that he was wearing. And he said, what's your opinion of this, Ya Rasulullah? And he said, if it is tight, because yani, he saw it a little bit yani, loose. He goes, if the garment is tight, then you use it as uh, an izar. Okay? And if it is wide, then you can use it over your shoulders. This hadith, what I remember of it, okay, is that Jabir came and the... the the thing that he was uh, wearing around his uh, his waist, because you have a rida and you have izar, two 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 garments. The top part is rida, bottom is izar, and it was really baggy. Okay, it was really really baggy, and the the reality is is that you don't need something so baggy at the bottom, okay, and just you need it to just cover the bottom part, and so he said, sallallahu alaihi that if it is so baggy, so big then put it over your shoulders which are wider by nature and so that they cover and you can be wrapped around it. So that's why the hadith is to be translated. If it's tight, then wrap it around your waist and if it is big, then throw it over your shoulders. Co- wrap yourself in it like a big shawl. Wrap yourself a couple of times. Because remember, garment, thobe here, okay, is garment and garment does not mean that it's sewn or it's got arms or whatever. It basically means it's a piece of cloth, right? So if it's only a short cloth, then you put it around your waist. And if it's a big cloth, then it can do one or two quick kind of revolutions around your entire body. So he, uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, and he goes, see, look at this hadith. It is known that it, it's not from covering the aura to, to cover yourself, you know, in a shawl a couple of times, to envelop yourself. Okay? Rather, بَلْ سَتْرَهُ فِي غَيْرِ يعني, This is clearly, therefore, not يعني, referring to uh, 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 not referring to just covering the aura. Idan, فليس منات الحكم ستر العورة. إنما منات الحكم اتخاذ الزينة. هذا هو الذي أمر الله به ودلت عليه السنة. Okay, and he basically said so. Therefore, it's clear then that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the prayer is the, 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 the rules which cover dress is to be as beautified as possible, not to cover the aura. And I think that's a very good introduction that he said, because especially as the Sheikh, uh, the, the author has said that from the conditions of the of the prayer is to cover the aura, and he's right because that's the minimum. But that's not what we should be aiming for. What we should be aiming for is not covering the aura, but to beautify so, ourselves as much as possible. Then Sheikh then says, "Okay, what's the evidence? What dalilu ala anna man shar?" The evidence that the 
that from the conditions of the prayer is to cover the awrah, the actual minimal awrah, is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya bani Adam, khudhu zinatukum inda kulli masjid, wa kulu wa shrabu wa la tusrifu, innahu la yuhibbul musrifin. Again, Surah Al-A'raf, verse 31. O children of Adam, dress well, uh, uh, wherever you are, whenever you are at worship, and eat and drink, and do not be extravagant. Allah does not like those who are extravagant. Okay, so this is the first one. This evidence, yani, makes it very, very clear that when you are praying, you must have your zina, and the most minimum part of zina is to cover the aura. So that's evidence number one. Okay, obligation to cover the aura. Number two, the Prophet sallallahu said in the hadith of Jabir that we just mentioned that there must be a cloth which is made uh, uh, make uh, of the izar. Okay, وَإِذَا كَانَ وَاجِبًا فِي الْعِبَادَةِ فَكُلُّ وَاجِبٍ فِي الْعِبَادَةِ شَرْطٌ لِسِحَّتِهَا uh, Sheikh said that it is clear the Prophet ﷺ said at the very least it should cover your bottom and if not then it should be big enough to cover everything from the top. So therefore these two hadith, yani the hadith and the, uh, uh, the, 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 the ayah and the hadith indicate that it is obligatory to cover the awrah. And if something is obligatory, okay, listen to this point clearly. Is it if وَإِذَا كَانَ وَاجِبًا فِي الْعِبَادَةِ If there is an obligation in acts of worship, okay? فَكُلُّ وَاجِبْ فِي الْعِبَادَةِ شَرْطٌ لِصَحَّتِهَا Then every wajib is a condition for the validity of the act of worship. Meaning that if you intentionally do not do that obligation, then you have not met one of the preconditions of that act of worship. Therefore, if you intentionally leave an obligation, then you have invalidated the act of worship. Likewise, if you are intentionally leaving a precondition for the prayer, the prayer is invalidated. That every obligation in an act of worship is a condition for its validity. So if a person intentionally leaves it, he will then lose that ibadah. So if a person was to leave the first tashahud, in the prayer, if he was to leave it intentionally, then the prayer is invalidated. And likewise, if a person does not cover the awrah intentionally, then his prayer is invalidated. If he prays naked, then his prayer is invalidated, unless that there is some kind of, uh, you know, some circumstance, and we'll talk about that later as well. Okay? Number three, the third evidence for this. Nuqila ibn Abdul Bar. Okay, ibn Abdul Bar, he, he uh, referenced an ijma'a of all the scholars. على من صلى أريانا مع قدرته على اللباس فصلاته باطلة. There's a consensus of the scholars that anyone who prays naked whilst they were able to cover themselves, then their prayer is is invalid. And Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah he also said something else that the ulama اتفقوا على أن الإنسان الذي يصلي أريانا وهو قادر على اللباس فصلاته باطلة. And Ibn Taymiyyah likewise as well. He said it is a consensus and ijma' that anyone who is able to cover their clothes, cover themselves with clothes, and they don't and they pray intentionally naked, then their prayer is invalid. Okay, so what do we move on to next? So Sheikh is saying that it is obligatory to cover the aura with something which does not describe the skin, i.e. it does not yani, indicate the skin color and the nature of the skin. Now that, that you should notice that the condition did not say that it does not indicate that there is a limb or you know, because 
if you look at this, I don't know if you can even see in the camera with the light uh, uh, part, but for example, this here does not indicate the color of my skin. You can't see from there. Here you can, you can't see from here. But you can still see that this is an arm. You can see that this is an elbow, all right? It's tight enough to show that there's an elbow and, you know, that this is an arm or that this is a chest or whatever it is, yeah? So uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Hanbalis are not indicating that it, it has to be so, so baggy that it has to completely hide the limb. No, they're saying that it mustn't indicate the skin, okay? So, um, so he said, therefore, that we can say that there are uh, four conditions. All right. يُشْتَرَتُ فِي الثَّوْبَ السَّاتِرِ أَرْبَعَةَ شُرُودٍ الثَّوْبَ السَّاتِرِ A thawb which covers you legally has four conditions. Okay, these are the four conditions it must meet. The first condition, أَلَّا يَصِفَ الْبَشَرَ كَمَا قَالَ الْمُؤَلِّفِ So, لأن, uh, uh, so for example, that the, 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 the skin cannot be shown. Okay, so Sheikh Uthameen gives a really obvious example. He goes plastic. He goes plastic. You can put on plastic, yani a rain mac, for example, or some other kind of shirt, which is made of plastic, which will keep you warm. It will keep you dry and it's waterproof. Okay, but you would not be able to pray in it because it does not. It shows the skin. Okay, it's clear through plastic, see-through plastic. I'm talking about. Yep, white kind of uh, uh, rain mac. Uh, but in addition to this would be certain kind of very, very fine materials that you can see. Now, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti, he talks about this in detail. And he says something very interesting. He says that uh, 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 one of the things, of course, is that, you know, not only is it a form of nakedness, but actually it is even maybe worse than nakedness. There it, is, it can be argued, and he said, many scholars say, and I say that actually people should say, this is not something for the scholars to make a judgment on, the people can see this, that actually this kind of very, very thin veiling increases sexual tension, increases fitna. And, you know, the, the concept of lace and the concept of, I don't know what that kind of material is called, which is chiffon or chiffron or whatever it is, I don't know. But the point is, is that it's so thin that it's kind of like enticing a person to look further, to indicate... What is it that is actually happening? What's going on? What is, yani when, when a, and Sheikh Muhammad Muhtar al-Shanqiti in his notes to this, he says that actually a person who was not wearing anything, so for example, if there was a woman with her arms yani bare, that that would be less of a, of a fitna for other people, men and women, whoever, okay, than if there was like a lace covering it. And that is, that's true. The whole, the whole lingerie industry is based upon this fact, isn't it? Okay, that they entice. And so the idea here is clear that something that covers needs to cover and it's just, you know, no nonsense. It doesn't mean it doesn't need to be ugly. It doesn't need to be black like I love. You can wear your own colors that you enjoy, enjoy, no problem. But it's got to be something which covers the skin color, the nature of the skin, okay? Whether it is infected, not infected, whether it's yani, rough or not, or smooth or black or white or red or whatever, okay? You shouldn't be able to tell the nature of the skin, all right? The second uh, condition, ashartu thani, uh, that it must be pure, clean. Because if it is najis, it is impure, then it is not permissible to pray in it. And if he prays in it, uh, something doing something haram, then his prayer is also invalidated as well. Why? Because, not because it did not cover the person, because a, 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 a najis thobe could be black and you cover it, you know, but it's got najasa on it, might have urine or might have something else on it. Because it is not permissible to actually intentionally cover, uh, carry najasa. It's not permissible for you to actually, you know, intentionally say, this is dirty and I'm going to put it on. 
okay, from the start. We know and we discussed before that if a person is wearing a clean thaw when it becomes dirty or clean or a dirty, something clean like shoes and they become dirty and they get rid of it, then it's okay. But to intentionally walk into a prayer with something dirty, that's not something which is permissible. Why is that? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَثِيَابَكَ فَطَهِرْ in Surah Al-Mudathir verse 4 and purify your clothes. Yani make sure your clothes are clean. Shaykh Ruthimi mentioned something interesting which I will mention as well. He said some of the scholars says, وَثِيَابَكَ فَطَهِرْ does not mean purify your clothes, but actually your your amal. Yani everything that you do, purify it from shirk. So uh, uh, and and how would that even make sense? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has actually referred thiyab is here, the word thawb, right? How could you say, well, how is that meaning action? Well, in another part of the Quran in Surah Al-A'raf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually does refer to actions as clothes. He says, وَلِبَاسُ taqwa ذَلِكَ خَيْرٌ And the clothes of taqwa are, are better, okay? Uh, and so, yani, uh, encouraging the people to have taqwa. Why did he call it libasu taqwa? This is something which is adorning a person, and you are adorned by your actions. People remember you by your actions. Likewise, when they see you, they remember your clothes. It identifies you. Your actions identify you as well. So from the Arabic and the Quranic use, actions have been called libas. So here we have two things. The first meaning is clear, we use it literally, that it means purify your thobe, your garment, your clothes. The second meaning would use the thiyab as actions, purify your actions from shirk. So the, the sheikh wants to say, is that possible that you have two completely yani, opposite meanings yani, uh, linguistically? Um, those who have been studying fitna with me, the tafsir Surah al-Imran, uh, know that that is actually possible and that it is a qaida, it is a maxim and a rule, that if there is a meaning, and then a second meaning of a word or even a verse that does not negate the original meaning and adds an extra dimension, so there's no contradiction, then both can be used as the tafsir. Both are yani, actionable. And Sheikh also says here again, وَلَا يَمْتَنِعْ أَنْ تُحْمَلْ عَلَى الْمَعْنِيَينَ And it's not, it's not, it's not something which uh, is, uh, uh, you know, you're not going to have to worry about... Um, uh, the two uh, uh, meanings being rejected, okay? It's a person which, uh, 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 if a person, for example, has a meaning which is uh, uh, clearly supported by the al-mufassirin or hadith and so on, but then a second opinion comes that does not indicate or negate that first one, then it's going to be acceptable. Because they both do not contradict each other. And both of the meanings, أو اللفظ النبوي ولا يتنافيان فإنهما مرادفان باللفظ يعني both have a similar meaning both can be applied at the same time both have been used in the Quran or in the Hadith with those kind of indications and therefore one is able to apply them the second evidence why it is obligatory to uh, wear clean clothes okay from the beginning is that the Prophet ﷺ was brought a child who had not yet started eating solids and he sat him on his lap and the child, the male boy, he urinated on his nap, uh, lap and then the Prophet ﷺ, he asked for some water to be bought for him so that he could wash it off. The hadith is narrated by Bukhari as we know. And that indicates that it must be, it's a condition that the thawb is pure and that's why the Prophet ﷺ, he indicates, he rushed to get that yani cleaned as soon as possible. Um, uh, the next uh, uh, evidence, okay. The next evidence is, um, what is the next evidence? The Prophet ﷺ, كَانِ يُصَلِّ ذَاتِ يَوْمِ بِأَصْحَابِهِ 
That's yani me just trying to indicate. Yep. Our audience is going all over the show. <laughs> okay, it's all right. That's okay. Um, the Prophet can you sully that yom bi ashabihi? And this is the hadith that I just uh, uh, was referring to. The Prophet ﷺ was once yani, uh, uh, praying with his companions and he took his, his, his uh, slippers off. So he took off and the rest of the companions likewise in the prayer took off their slippers. And so when the Prophet ﷺ, he gave salam, he said to them, why did you do that? They said, because you did that, Ya Rasulullah. So we took off our slippers as well. And he said, No, no, actually for me, Jibreel ﷺ came to me and he said to me that your clothes have some dirt on it. So that's why you need to, your, your shoes rather, they have some dirt on it. And therefore uh, you need to remove it. And that is a very clear hadith of indicating that it is obligatory to get rid of najasa. Hadith, uh, point number four, and that's the hadith of Ibn Abbas, or the fourth evidence that uh, obligates why a person needs to wear uh, clean clothes, is where Abdullah ibn Abbas narrates that the Prophet was going past a by 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 going past uh, walking past two graves and the inhabitants of both whom were being punished and the prophet sallallahu said inna ahaduhuma kana la yastatiru min al-bawl and the other narration la yastanzih that he was not protecting himself from urine and you know that we covered this hadith in purification in the chapter of purification because there's some discussion about this hadith and its meaning and so on but in, again in principle we need to of course keep ourselves yani, pure and clean from uh, a urine. The other evidence and the final evidence that a person should uh, know that why you need to have pure clothes and why it's obligatory to have pure clothes from the beginning is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Hajj verse 26 and purify my house for the people who make tawaf and the people who pray and the people who stand and bow and prostrate in prayer. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated the purification of the place. So if the place of the way you pray has to be purified, then of course the clothes which are on your body are min babil awla, as we say. They are more deserving to be pure. So I think that's clear. The third condition for a, a, a thawb, which is to be worn, is that it must be permissible. It can't be something which is haram. Okay? And how is something haram? Haram, the thawb muharram, is of three types. Imma muharram li'aynihi, or muharram li'wasfihi, or muharramun li'kasbihi. It is either muharram because it, it is haram because of itself, it is intrinsically haram, or it is haram because of one of its identifying characteristics, or it is haram because of how it was obtained, how it was earned, how did you pay for it. So as for example, uh, the first type, uh, a, a haram garment intrinsically is a silk garment for men. So this is something which is haram upon every single man. So if a man was to pray in a silk garment, then his prayer is invalid, because of this condition. Sheikh Uthameen then makes a statement. And some of these are, you know, when you read it first time, you think, huh? he says that a person who prays in something which is haram, then they have now invalidated their prayer because he has covered himself with a thawb which is not allowed for him to cover himself with. And whoever does an action which is not upon the command of Allah and His Messenger, then it is rejected. I want you to remember this because that's a harsh statement. He's going to come back to it again and again, and then he's going to comment on it. As for Ahthob, which is uh, haram because of some kind of characteristic. Well, this is now interesting. He says, So he goes, for example, a thob, which is so long for men, again, 
which that is covering that is coming to the floor it's actually you know, below his ankles and touching the floor and he says that if a person uh, has a thobe okay which is made of cotton and it's nice and halal and it's covering the skin but it's so low that it's below the ankles then we say that this is haram because of the way that it is being worn and it is not permissible to pray in it and the prayer is invalidated he said the prayer is invalidated as a result because it is not something which is allowed and the one who is wearing it is punished and therefore it is invalidated according to the sharia and anyone who does something like this that goes against the command of Allah and his messenger then the action is rejected we need to just stop the tape here and have a chat about this listen the issue of isbal okay is one which has led the scholars to differ yeah and it does the prophet ﷺ has said allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not look at that which is below the thobe allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the prophet ﷺ said in other hadith that whatever is below the the thobe uh, below the the ankles is in the fire the prophet ﷺ said that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not look at that person who is al-musbil yeah, the, on the day of judgment will not look at that person who used to drag that out of khuyala yani meaning out of pride now this is this has obviously led a lot of uh, uh, people to differ, differ and discuss and so on and so forth and this is not the place for it right now but i will say this okay uh, uh, we have the famous narration of Bakr al-Siddiq yani he said that it keeps slipping down my izara I try my best and it goes below my ankles and whatever and well, you know what can I do Ya Rasulullah and he was really trying his best to keep it up which is an important point so even he recognized that it should be high up uh, above the ankles but the Prophet ﷺ said that's not your problem Abu Bakr yani I know who you are yani you're not doing this out of pride and arrogance and so some of the scholars took this narration and they didn't want to say that the people are like Abu Bakr but they wanted to say that if a person isn't and hasn't got that intention of yani, showing off or being proud, then it's something which is allowed. Yani, it does not yani, fall into impermissible actions. And if you follow that scholarly opinion that it is not something which is haram, then of course it would not invalidate the prayer either. So this is Sheikh Uthameen's own opinion. My opinion, I just want to make clear, is that I do uh, uh, sympathize with the idea that, uh, that there are certain clothing which people do wear intentionally long to become proud. And that's because of my time and experience living in the Arab world and Arab lands you will see those who are rich and those who are nobles and they really do like to do that and they genuinely look down upon people who lift their thobe above the, the, the cab. So I want to say something which also my teacher Sheikh Muhammad Salim Al-Adud uh, many years ago in Mauritania told me and he said that the uh, every hadith which is referring to the prohibition of Isbal is referring to a thobe or a garment that is, uh, has only one opening. This is not applicable to the garments of today that have two openings, i.e. legs. What do I want to say? Meaning that I think that if a person does isbal in trousers, okay, or a skirt of some sort, I mean for women, but that's not relevant. We're only speaking about men, aren't we? So if a man is wearing, for example, trousers or shalwar, okay, with his kameez, then I believe that it can go below the ankles on both counts. One, I don't believe that the prohibition occurs. I don't believe that yani, it is relevant to him because it is not the thawb. And I believe that these are by, uh, 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 so it's not the thawb in the hadith. But also, I don't believe that there is intrinsic arrogance or pride or showing off in normal trousers, which by their nature cover the ankles, they go down to shoes. Okay. However, I do not apply that same rule for the thawb. I believe that the thawb is madhinnatul khuyala. Yani, I believe that the thawb 
it intrinsically le leads itself that the longer it is, the more noble it looks and the more the more you start to kind of, you know, feel a bit, you know, full of yourself and a bit special. And that's the dangerous kind of feeling here that you start to show off. So I think that we should avoid having the thobe yani, so low below our ankles. So keep that in mind. I think it's okay for trousers and I think it's not good for a thobe. I say not good because I believe that even in that case, if there is a Muslim whose thobe is on the ankles or below, but he's trying not to or didn't intend it, or for example, he's not an Arab, you know, there's some packs you know, who buy their, the thobe straight from the, you know, the, the, the duffer box and they open it and they, didn't, they don't understand the whole sizing system. And there's this massive thing which is on the floor. They don't even know what's going on. They're completely, you know, uh, uh, oblivious to the whole kind of, you know, the technical realities behind it. So there, um, uh, I don't think that the, 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 the action is haram and he'll be punished for it. I think there needs to be an intention there that, that gets punished for it. However, it's safer to follow the opinion that, you know, one should avoid wearing a thobe. Yani like a, a robe or a dress or a gown or whatever for a man that below the ankles. Even though I was, even if I was to accept that that is haram and a person can't dress like that, to then say that a person that would wear that would then invalidate the prayer, big statement, big statement. And he said both. Sheikh Uthameen, clearly uh, of the majority opinion, I, I would say maybe majority opinion that the thobe is haram underneath the ankle. But still, as I said, there's clear opinions on the other side as well, contrary. But that's fine. But then to say that the validates the prayer, that's a big statement. Let's see if he's going to, if he's going to clarify that. And then, then he goes, the last type of haram thobe is that which is, for example, stolen or has been, you know, nicked from someone or whatever. Okay. And he goes that, so for example, a person uh, steals a thobe, then he prays in it. So we say, Sheikh Uthameen says, The prayer is not valid because he covered himself with a haram thobe. And therefore, this is not acceptable. Now, that's hardcore statement. That's why Sheikh, at the bottom, to, on the top of page 155, he then makes a statement. Um, uh, how long have we... Uh, what's it? We don't want to go on too long. Two minutes left to what? 49 minutes. Depends on how long we want to make this, isn't it? Okay. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's the issue. You're, you're thinking, how on earth that got there, yeah? That got there because I was slapping it against you. That's why, bro. So, Sheikh then says that as for the, the first two kind of realities, he goes, I think that's very, very clear. He goes, I'm very comfortable with the idea that these two should be something which is prohibited. Right? It's very clear. As for the third thing though, he says that, yani, uh, he, he, Sheikh is trying to say, uh, this issue of how you earn the thobe is an area of discussion amongst the scholars. And he gives a reference to Insaf where they discuss it. So he says, He goes, there are some of the scholars that said that, um, that you have covered your body if you wear a thobe which is stolen. Okay, You have uh, covered your, your, your body. And um, then he kind of expands this discussion. He focuses on the third, but then he uses the word Muharram. So he says that a prohibited thobe in any kind of sense, it has actually covered your body, right? Covered your body. And when I say haram thobe, I mean, you know, haram because either it's made of silk or because it's been stolen or because it is musbil, yani it is uh, below the ankles. He says that the, some of these scholars, they did say that the reason that it has been prohibited, لِأَنَّ الْمُحَرَّمُ فِي هَذَا الثَّوْبِ لَيْسَ هُوَ لُبْسُهُ 
في الصلاة حتى نقول إنه يعارض الأمر بلبسه في الصلاة بل المحرم لبس هذا الثوب مطلقا He says that it is not these thobes were not made prohibited for salah they were made prohibited يعني absolutely like you can't wear a thobe outside of salah that's stolen you can't wear silk outside of salah you can't wear a thobe according to the opinion uh, uh, that below the ankles outside of salah either there's no difference between salah and you know you, have, you know you got packs you know who who they wear their kind of trousers and their thobes but when they enter the prayer they roll it up that actually has no evidence by the way if you're gonna you know if you're gonna keep it rolled up then keep it rolled up all the time or keep it down all the time but this doesn't make sense this in between position you've seen that they let it down outside of the prayer and then they roll it up for the inside of the prayer there's no basis for that and so what the sheikh is saying is that وَعَلَى هَذَا فَيَكُونْ مَوْرُودَ النَّهِي غَيْرَ مَوْرُودَ الْأَمْرِ Oh, sorry. وعلى هذا فيكون مورد النهي غير مورد مورد الأمر. يعني لو قيل لك if the sheikh the sheikh says that if it was said to you do not wear silk in the prayer and then you wore it then the prayer is invalid and that makes sense. But that wasn't the case. The Prophet ﷺ prohibited silk across the board, so it's not linked to the prayer per se. So why are we making these realities as conditions for the prayer and its validity? We shouldn't. And that's why Sheikh says at the end, so he goes, so he goes, so in our mas'ala, if a person uh, uh, is wearing something which is prohibited outside of salah as well as inside of salah, then like, for example, don't wear silk, and this man then does, does wear silk in the prayer, he is sinful for huwa athimun bilubsihi la shak, lakinhu laysa ala wajhin yukhtassu bisalah hatta naqul innahu yunafiha. But this is not something which is actually contradictory to the prayer per se, in that if he wears it in the prayer, we're saying that it goes against the rules of the prayer or against the spirit of the prayer. No, it doesn't. It goes against the spirit of manhood and the reason, the illa, why it was prohibited, yani, completely. So I want you to understand that, yani, that that is not being prohibited for that. And so therefore, Sheikh says, وَعَلَى هَذَا فَإِذَا صَلَّ بِثَوْبٍ مُحَرَّمٍ فَصَلَاتُهُ صَحِيحًا لَكِنَّهُ آثِمٌ لِأَنَّهُ مُتَلَبِّسٌ بِثَوْبٍ مُحَرَّمٍ Therefore, as Sheikh says, even though he focuses on the third, but he now goes back and now corrects this situation. In all three scenarios, if a person wears a haram thobe, he will be sinful, but his prayer is correct, valid. He would not need to repeat his prayer. I know this sounds like a bit of a silly argument and silly discussion, but this is a technical point that's being made. The fourth condition of a thobe that it must meet for it to be worn in prayer and being yani, you know, good, whatever, is that it must not harm a person. So it can't be something that has any yani, things that will cause some kind of difficulty or some kind of, you know, scratch his skin or make it bleed or something like that. And that's something which is important because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not obligated people to harm themselves in that way. And for example, likewise, if a person has a skin infection or some kind of skin problem and wearing any yani, clothes is going to increase that reaction and cause like a real bad reaction, then it's even permissible for him to wear uh uh, silk or other kind of synthetic materials or spe special materials that he knows or she knows will not react against their skin and cause that problem. Even wear something from silk if that is, uh, uh, you know, and if you don't have any silk or you can't get hold of silk, then you pray exactly as you possibly can. You know, whatever you can possibly do, just do whatever you can. Okay, guys? Um, so... The last point that I think I will cover today is the aura of a man and a female slave and an umwalad and a slave which is partially freed is from the surah ila rukba, from the navel to the knee. 
So the Sheikh Yani, he's now talking about the Aura. And the Aura, according to the Hanabila, okay, is um, uh, divided into three parts. The Mughallada, Mukhaffafa, and Mutawasita. Mughallada, Mukhaffafa, and Mutawasita. If I was to translate Mughallada, I'd say heavy. But Mukhaffafa, light. And Mutawasita, medium. Okay. Sheikh says, Falmukhaffafa. The Mukhaffafa, yani the light aura, is basically a young boy between um, 7 to 10 years old. If we have a young boy between 7 and 10, then we would say that the aura for this young lad, yani what he must cover is just his private parts. That's the humbly position, just the private parts. If a person covers his front passage and back passage, front, yani, private parts and, and, and the back, then he's okay. And even if his thighs are showing, it will be sufficient. The, that's mukhaffaf, that's the light yani, scenario. The mughallada, the heavy scenario, is that for, for example, a baligha woman, okay? So she is mature, post-pubescent woman. All of her body is aura except for her face. All of her body is aura except for her face. فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ aura فِي الصَّلَةِ يعني In the prayer, the face is not considered to be aura. Uh, even though it is aura outside. According to the Hanbalis, the face is aura. Or according to some of the Hanbalis, the face is aura, which is why in the Hanbali Madhab, the niqab is an obligation. So that's why I said before at the beginning that the aura of nadhar and the aura of salah are two different things. But in the aura of salah, we know that the uh, uh, they said that the entire body is aura for the woman, except for her face. We're going to come to that next week. And um, as for the Malikis and the Shafi'is, then they said that all of the body of, for the female is aura except for her face and her hands. And the Hanafis and Ibn Taymiyyah are the lightest. They said that the aura is the entire body except the face, except the hands and except the feet as well. Or the, uh, uh, the bottom of the feet. The bottom of the uh, feet. And by the bottom of the feet, that also means part of the front part as well. And we'll talk about the reasoning for that uh, as well, inshallah, uh, later. Okay. Um, Sheikh then says, وَنَحْنُ uh, Sheikh just wants to end, in, indicate something which is very useful and uh, something I mentioned in Fiqh Salah. That is important for us to mentally also differentiate between the aura of a man uh, and aura of uh, any person in the prayer and outside the prayer and especially of a woman. Now, uh, there is not the issue of covering one's, one's body uh, for beautification purposes. Uh, obviously, the aura is covered because of fitna, the aura is covered because it's something you're ashamed of, or the aura is covered because of... Yani, these are the basic principles, right? And when it comes to covering uh, the, obliga the obligation of hijab and so on, the hair and the face, 
the difference over the hair and the face, everyone agrees on the hair because of the, uh, because of the ayat of the Quran. But the face itself is an area of difference of opinion. And nearly all of the scholars agree that if there's someone who is incredibly uh, beautiful and causing a lot of fitna, then regardless of the fact that it's obligatory upon other men to deal with their own issues and women to deal with their own issues with respect to her, they need to look down. But she also has personal agency that she needs to be, yani, uh, aware of and many scholars obligated upon that such a woman to wear niqab to avoid yani, causing fitna even though the other people she might not be guilty for what they do but she has her own personal responsibility and they have their own personal responsibility right so the point is here that a beautiful person okay that is a really uh, yani, someone of fitna that they are saying that must cover her face well in salah she doesn't okay in salah she doesn't and she would be alone in a room, locked in a tower, locked in a city of no one yani, there, and she would still dress like that. You see what I'm saying? So there is a reality for the prayer that has been done purely for the sake of Allah, not because other people are watching her. However, at the same time, if people were watching her, then there is space, according to some scholars, that she would even cover her face in the prayer because of the fact that now the aura of nazar is almost overtaking the aura of salah because now it's now become a public thing and now the two issues have now been combined but in principle the prayer aura is one thing and the nazar aura is something else and the mutawassita is everything other than that so there are three categories of people that would have a different type of aura okay and that is basically every man who's 10 years and above. So notice that this is not about puberty. This is about an age and about a body shape and a body reality. So 10 years and above for males. And the lady who is prepubescent, prepubescent, okay. And the uh, slave girl who is even a woman, even postpubescent. These are the three categories. Then these folks their aura according to the madhab of the hanbalis then that their aura is between the uh knee and the uh navel between the knee and the navel okay i hope that that's clear inshallah okay uh this is of course as i said uh the prayer this is not talking about outside this is talking about the prayer so i repeat in the prayer there are three types of people when it comes to the aura the Mukhaffafa, the Mughallada, and the Mutawasita. The Mukhaffaf is for a, 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 a pre-10 year old, okay? So 7 to 10. And uh, a, that kid can pray literally just covering his private parts. And then, just to break the order, the medium person is a male, okay? And a male, according to the Hanbalis, can pray as long as he, at 10 years and above, and likewise add to that a girl who's younger than uh, post prepubescent, and likewise, uh, uh, a slave woman, okay, even if she was post-pubescent. These are the three people who can pray legitimately between knee and navel. And you'll see that obviously that's a girl which is pre-pubescent. You can see that she at 10 years old or 7 or 8, 9, 10 is not being treated like the boy. The boy just has to cover private parts, literally like, you know, a nappy, for example, or, or your wife fronts or whatever you want to call it. Whereas the girl has to cover the thigh and so on and so forth. You might say, well, hold on, Yanni, what about breasts and development, especially and so on. And the case, this goes on a case by case basis. The more sexualized the body of the girl comes, then she's given the ruling as a free woman who is post-pubescent. So I just want to make that clear. And then the third category for the Hanbalis when it comes to the prayer is for a woman, post-pubescent or 13, 14 year old girl or whatever that's gone through puberty or any age or above that. They have to cover their entire body except their face according to the Hanbalis. I just mentioned that according to 
the, the Shafi'i is he can uncover the hands as well. Okay, the Sheikh then says, the aura of the Rajul. How's the Haram? How are you enjoying that? You guys enjoying it? I hope you are because what a headache and hassle I went through to do this lesson like this. Huh? Next one's going to be with a large group of people. Here's only a few now, but a large group of people for the one from Medina to Munawwara, inshallah. Whole different vibe. Honestly, man, the kind of missions I go through, trust me. Um, so, Sheikh says that whenever man is mentioned in this chapter, it is talking about a post-pubescent person who is above 10 years old, okay? Um, and Sheikh also mentions, uh, okay? that there are four kind of subcategories that are mentioned in the mutawassit, okay, category, okay, in the mutawassit category, in the middle kind of category. First of all, a young boy who is above 10 years old, and so this person, he is having to cover between his knee and his, his navel, whether he's a free or a slave boy. Then number two, the second subcategory, is a slave girl uh, who is post-pubescent, a woman. So she's owned, okay? And her aura is also from the navel to the knee. And so therefore, the sheikh says that if they're technically speaking, if a slave girl was to pray naked of body other than the, 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 the navel to the knee covered, then her prayer is correct. It is valid because she has covered what has been obligated upon her. But do we say that this is her aura yani in terms of yani other people? What we're saying is that this is her aura in her own personal space for salah. What the fuqaha have said that that is not the case though, because there is an idea you'll see, yani, and I advise you guys to, uh, uh, all viewers, all readers, all listeners, to check out Sheikh Omar Suleiman's uh, little series that he did on slavery and all this kind of thing and captives, etc., etc. You'll find that. Type in Omar Suleiman slavery in Google, I'm sure you'll find the series to educate yourself about the facts about slavery, where Islam stands on it today. I'd done that ages ago in the Adam Mufrad season one on the discs and stuff. That's a long time ago. And he also covers, you know, what the reality is and the misconceptions and the lies that people make up. And there are ideas that, you know, that somehow that just because the, the prayer aura has been set between the navel and the knee, that we obligate slave girls to walk in the markets and streets yani, with their breasts showing and so on. And I want, to, I want to just say that the fuqaha, they mentioned, alayhi rahmatullah, that, the, um, that they discussed this issue. And some of them actually did, you know, indicate that. But the correct position as the majority position certainly today, and that which was elucidated by Sheikh Hussam ibn Taymiyyah, which he mentioned in Majmu' al-Fatawa, in volume 22 again, and, and in his Al-Ikhtiyarat, he said that, that when it comes to the look, then it is based upon, not yani, what is upon Salah, but upon reality, and upon attraction, and upon fitna, and most of the girls would be clearly, uh, uh, just like any other girl. So he, he said, في باب النظر الْأَمَى because girls are the same, the bodies are the same, yani there's no difference yani, when it comes to that, and the men's reaction to them. And that obviously would increase if that was, and he said that, that the, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they might not have made hijab, but they were wearing some kind of clothes, and their fitna, yani, their attraction to them was much less, because uh, the people were not yani, attracted to them, um, such as the other uh, noble women, and they were not yani, people that 
uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that 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 uh, the folks were interested in marriage and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in uh, uh, Surah An-Nur uh, Surah An-Nur verse uh, 60 so the uh, you can you, you can see that if there is a uh, uh, um, there are women uh, which pretty much is all women today in today's reality this would not apply basically not because of modernity uh, so I don't want to make it clear I don't want you to ever think that I am because of modernist any reasons that I'm just saying oh today is a different time no I mean at today all of the women at every level first of all slavery is not even a reality but just generally applying even if there were all women are expected to understand that their bodies are not seen like they were like they used to be or that there could have been some circumstances that were not allowing people to access those women or even attempt to go and try to uh, be attracted to those women or to create a relationship, etc., etc. Um, and so, therefore, and Sheikh Uthameen even says, even through history, that there were a number of different yani, slave generations or nations or kind of groups of people that came in that had characteristics that were not like the early slaves at the time of the Prophet. Sallam. And he goes, It's not possible to say that they are the same, that the aura of the salah and the aura of outside are the same, rather that they should be different. Okay? Um, and Sheikh says that they gave a good, they gave a good illa. They gave a good explanation of this. Okay, they said that in the maqsud min al-hijab, who sitr ma yuqaf min huwa al-fitna, bi-khilaf al-salah. Hijab is all about covering those parts of the body which could lead another person to to fitna or put that person in fitna or any increase in fitna. Un unlike salah, and that's why in salah you are obligated to cover yourself even if you're by yourself. It has nothing to do with fitna. You're not giving any fitna to anyone. And when you put on all those yani, prayer gowns and XYZ, especially women and the big yani, hijabs and all the rest of it, there's no one around. Yani, you're praying on yourself but in your own room. And so who are you actually yani, trying to hide from? So you're not. So um, in the bab of nadar, the bab of fitna, requires a different type of covering. And the illa here is different to the illa there. So if the illa are different, why are you treating the rulings as the same? And that's, I think, a very clear point. I hope that that makes sense. Okay. Um, so now we do not differentiate between the dress codes of women, whatever their actual social status is. And that's the basic conclusion for today. Um walad, Okay. This is the third yani, category of person that was mentioned. Yani, that, that is allowed to, in the prayer, only wear from the knee to the, to, the, to, the, to the navel. This is a woman who was a female slave, but then she bears your child. And so therefore she has like a higher status and she is like yeah, like a mother but not fully because you're not married her. Um, this is like a concubine relationship which has become a, uh, she has now born children. And her, her, her legal reality is that she, if not freed already by her master, then when he passes away, the father of the child, then she becomes free by, 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 by default. She becomes free, which is different to a normal slave. Okay. And then the second, the, the fourth type of slave which has been mentioned is the, uh, the one which is partially owned. And the partially owned one is that maybe there's two people that own one and uh, one says that I'm giving my half up, okay, or selling my half. So she's not fully yani, uh, clear. She still has obligations to the other one. And many times if there's two partners in a slave and one is not wealthy and the wealthier one gets rid of his half or sells it or frees her or gives up for the sake of Allah, the one who is poor is dependent upon that slave for their income, etc. So they don't give it up. This person is half free, okay? And just like the principle, 
Yani you might say, so how do we treat a person half free? Why don't we treat them as a free person and get them to wear full clothes in salah? And the Sheikh says that, uh, that the yaqeen is not taken away by shak, as we know. And what is certain is this person was a slave, okay? And what is unclear is just how free they are. And so the, the yaqeen status remains until the, the unclear status becomes greater, all right? And that's not going to happen until they free her or him completely. So until then, the slave who is part-owned, male or female, it's it's uh, sur it's a it's a it's a aura is from the navel to the knee, okay, navel to the knee. Um, and the final thing that I will uh, mention is what does it mean uh, from the navel to the knee? Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti said that it does not include the actual navel itself, it means that which is below. And this goes back to the issue of what min means and ila. And you'll need to go and re review what we discussed in the washing of the arm when ila al marafiq, ila al marafiq, to the elbows, does it mean include or not include? And that is something which we discussed in a lot of detail. Sheikh Uthaymin says, Al ma'aruf an ibtida' al ghaya dakhil la intiha'uha, ida dhukra ibtida'uha. That uh, what is known is that the beginning of the end is included لا انتهاؤها إذا ذكر ابتداؤها not the end part if the beginning is ended if the beginning <laughs> let me say that again uh, uh, actually let me give his example it's better لك من الأرض من ها هنا إلى ها هنا وعلى هذا تكون سر في ظاهر كلام المؤلف داخل في العورة لأنها ابتداء الغاية فيجب سترها والركبة غير داخلة. Okay, that, that. Um, that when you are given two parameters, when you say from here to there, then the basic principle is that when both are mentioned, then the from is included and the end is not included as long as the beginning has been mentioned. Okay, whereas if the beginning has not been mentioned, then the ila includes it. That's why Sheikh Uthameen says that you have to cover your, you have to wash your elbows. Everyone agrees on that principle. That you, uh, we, we, the, the ayah does not mention from the fingertips to the elbow. It says wash your hands to the elbow. Yeah, your arms to the elbow, and that includes the elbow. If the fingers had been mentioned from the fingertips to the elbow, then it would include the fingertips, but it wouldn't include the elbow. Because if both are mentioned, then it doesn't include the ending part. And Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shinkhiti, he disagreed, and his opinion is that it does, it does cover. Sheikh Uthameen says that therefore, according to this statement, according to the Hanbalis, and this is correct, in the Hanbali Madhab, the, uh, the knee therefore is not included. The surah, the navel is included, so you'd have to get your, your, your top line of your trouser or whatever, your sirwal or your whatever you want to call it, your pantalon, you would have to have it on the actual navel, including it, but the knee itself wouldn't. Now the scholars, he said, differed into three uh, positions. The first position is that no, the knee is included, and therefore you've got to cover it as well. And the second position is that uh, both of them are awrah, the surah and the rukba, the rukba, the knee, the surah, the navel, and both of them need to be included. And then the third position, and this is the, the famous position of the Hanbali Madhab, that the surah is, uh, 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 sorry, al madhab, and the surah, 
لا تدخلان فلا يجب سترهما ولا هذا فالعبارة التي تخرجهما أن يقال ما بين سرة والركبة This is one of the other popular opinions in the Hanbali Madhab and that is that neither the surra and the surra warrukba are not included. So neither is the navel and neither is the knee. So everything in between, okay, has to be covered. Sheikh says that the best yani, statement that it then expresses that is that not from the navel to the knee, but what is between the navel and the knee. So this is the third position. Um, Sheikh is comfortable with the opinion that a person should, yani, does not have to cover the knee and that it should be from the navel and that is the class position as well. But we will talk more about this on the issue of the thigh later because there are some scholars that said that it is okay to cover the thigh as well. But we'll talk about that next week inshallah. Now, um, we're going to cut it there, okay, because I need to make a move. But the questions that are now, uh, that you have, okay, for this class, I'm going to be there live session and I'll be, as you're seeing already now, I'm writing right now, and any questions that you are going to have now as, as, at, at the end of, as a result of this class, then I'll answer uh, uh, too. So I hope that was uh, beneficial. I hope that you enjoyed the view. I hope that you didn't focus too much upon the tawaf and what was more for, and focused more on what I was saying because I could have done it there actually. But Shazad Salim, yani, he said, absolutely not. He said, the people are not yani, there to be distracted by the background. They are here to listen to the lesson and focus on the, the fiqh. And I said, are you sure, Shaz? He said, 100%. I said, okay, Shaz, I am just yani, a slave. I'm, an, I'm not an umwalad, but I'm like a slave. In fact, you know what? I am a partially freed slave, right? People own me in different quantities, and some have been generous and freed me from responsibilities, and others yani, haven't, and they're still holding on because they're tight and they're stingy, or maybe they're just yani, faqir. But in any case, uh, put your questions uh, and I will answer them. Jazakumullah khair, it's been nice, nice to you guys. And Jazakumullah khair to you uh, tuning in. And it's been a wonderful experience. It's a strange yani, kind of angle. I hope this will work. Look, we've got lots of nice yani, stuff, camera, yevo. And I know that I'm dark, but then I could have put the light on and then you would have seen nothing out there. But that is some crazy, sick view. Okay? I mean, that's absolute madness, isn't it? Yeah? Do you want a little treat? Shall I give you guys a little treat? Yeah? Okay. Because I'm nice like that. Okay. Let me give you guys a special treat. Okay. Don't ever say that I don't look after you guys. Look at this behavior, man. Look at this behavior. My goodness gracious. Let's have a look here, guys. So, what we're looking at. If you look to the left there, if you see right in the in the picture, where are we? There, this is Dara Tawheed, the hotel, which is still standing. Obviously, they've got a hookup, as you can see with the old hotel, the uh, helicopter pad sign there, that they're being allowed to um, remain there. They shouldn't be, of course, because uh, the idea, this whole extension, as you can see, is absolutely huge. I mean, look at the Kaaba, look at the size of the original masjid, and look at the size of the extension. Literally, the extension is like four times the size of the mosque, man. Okay. Uh, this is the King Fahad extension here, and that's where King Fahad Gate is. You can't see it, obviously. This is the new uh, King uh, Abdulaziz Gate um, uh, that they're redoing again. It was open before. I took some pictures of that when I was last time here. Um, and you can see this is the palace, okay, over here. This is all the palace, this this here. This is the Malik Abdulaziz Road, and Ajiad Street is down here. And uh, this, what you're looking at here, is the work that they did. This is Asafa. 
and that's Marwa. Obviously, they're right down. This is like the fifth floor, this roof, this part here. So that's something which is awesome as well. Um, allows so many people to do it. At Hajj time, I always do my, my, my uh, sati up there back and forth. Uh, it's just completely empty. The roof, as you can see, is closed, and they do that most of the year round, frankly. Um, but the first floor and second floor are there. You can see the new Uthmani uh, uh, reproduction arches. They haven't done a great job here, though, to be honest. As you can see, it's not very busy. It is busy enough, though. And you can see the folks again milling around at the bottom. This is the uh, this is the clock tower, as it's called, or that's what I'm in currently at the moment, very generously, uh, on behalf of someone. And um, this is uh, the Zamzam Tower, and it's got Safa Tower, Safa Hotel, Safa, Safa, whatever it is, I can't remember, I don't know. And there's some other hotels in here, and this one has got some hotels in here. And uh, what else was I going to show you? Uh, that's obviously with the rest, the rest of Mecca. Um, uh, that, that, that that's a light by the way don't get scared by that white thing with the top right that's a light um what can i tell you man this way is as easy as that direction okay that's as easy as that way arafa is behind yani behind behind us um uh, there's some idea that the, the, the theory is is that this is going to uh this see this is like call it a cake slice i call it a cake slice this whole extension that another one of these boys is going to go there and they're going to have to knock down the palace and another one of these boys is going to go here so they're going to have to knock all that down and another one is going to go here so they will knock all this down yeah that clock tower theoretically is going to get knocked down but you know how saudis are and how all these decisions are made yeah, and changed and you know money things that hotel there is the is the one that we're going to be staying in i believe for umrah um i'm happy with that actually because it takes the same amount of time to get from there to here, right? By the time that you get out of this one, all right, and get all the way down, because the, the other only issue with these hotels here is it takes so long to get down. And yeah, it's not much difficult to walk, but you know what? If you were to walk all this way here, it's short, true, but this is never open and you can't get in here. So you have to walk over here anyway. So frankly, to come out of there underneath, I mean, when this opens in a little while, you'll be straight into the extension, bam. But at the moment, it comes out, so you can come into here quite easy. Um, so I like that, to be honest. And it's a nice hotel. Mashallah, it's a huge one. 1,600 rooms, that one, that Anjum. Um, and these are the new Hilton Suites on the left-hand side. This is some nice hotels. And there's a new hotel called the Conrad, which is here very nice as well. And this is the most expensive hotel, I, I believe, still. Dar Tawheed, still. I mean, it's got that great access there. You don't see many Westerners get that. Raffles, which is in this building, is uh, a very expensive hotel too. So that's the hotel issues. Uh, what else? They've opened this part up for the prayer. I don't like people praying there, to be honest. I think it's far, far too removed from that. You know, praying there is as good as praying here, frankly. So I'm not telling anyone to pray there. I prefer people go inside. And um, to be honest, I don't know why I'm doing all this for you, man. Why, why am I? This is what I promised for my my Hajj group and my Umrah folks, man. Why am I giving you guys Yanni this? Uh, this extra bonus, but because you bunch of packs in it. Have you seen this thing there? This is the new style, this there. If you look at it closely, that is a sliding roof. They don't have that in uh, in Makkah anywhere, but you know you got that in Medina. So they're adding that little feature. I think that's quite that's quite uh, that's quite nice. And um, that's it folks, I think. I don't know what else I can tell you really. But um, let's see if we can zoom in whilst not cutting the video. If the video cuts off, then don't blame me. Okay, I'm going to try something. Allah Akbar, it worked. Amazing. Can you see that? 
Shiva. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from every single person, inshaAllah.